Welcome to the Sharp 600, brought to you by Covers.com. I'm Rob Cressy, and I'm super excited to be jamming with you. Week two of the college football season is overreaction week. Is what we saw in week one the truth, or was it an isolated incident and the team will bounce back? To help get you ready for this weekend slate, joining me later on in the show is Max Meyer from Sports Illustrated. We'll be doing a breakdown of the high-profile games, plus give some picks that we like. But first, I want to talk about a few games that are top of mind for me. Let's start in Florida, where Florida State is a 21-and-a-half point favorite at home against UL Monroe. This game's all about which Florida State team shows up, the good one from the first half against Boise or the crappy one from the second half against Boise. There's a great opportunity here for Florida State to wipe the bad taste out of their mouth from that game. But how much do you really trust them to cover more than three touchdowns? And therein lies the fun of sports betting. And let's stay in Florida. My wife went to UCF, so I've been a supporter of the school since the Blake Bortles era. Because of this, I watched their entire game against Florida A&M. Brandon Wimbush took over as quarterback, and despite the 62 to nothing score, I wasn't overly impressed by his performance. This week, they take on Lane Kiffin's FAU squad that covered versus Ohio State in week one. UCF is a 10.5-point road favorite, and they've got a huge game next week against Stanford. This is a big look-ahead alert. It's not in my loins to bet against a team I root for. It's just worth noting the situation. In my get-comfortable-being-uncomfortable bet of the week, Last week, some bettors laid down multiple five figures on Illinois minus 17 against Akron. Many thought, what in the world is happening that Illinois, who was just 6-14 and 14 against the spread at home under Levy Smith, is getting this much action? Well, Illinois smoked Akron, and I said the next time Illinois is laying 17 points, then I need to unload my 401k on them. Well, guess what? Illinois is now a 21-point road favorite against UConn. UConn is one of the worst teams in college football, if not the worst. On principle alone, I have to bet Illinois and ride this one-game hot streak. I'm going to make them my get-comfortable-being-uncomfortable better of the week because there is nothing comfortable about Illinois laying three touchdowns in, on the road and taking it. And I want to hear from you. What is your get comfortable being uncomfortable better of the week? You can hit me up on Twitter at Rob Cressy and let me know how you're getting down. It's all about getting down with the get down. Before we get to the games, from our friends at Covers Experts, here's an exclusive offer for the Sharp 600 listeners only. Get 25% off any Covers Experts product when you use promo code SHARP25. Take advantage of this limited time offer. Save a little money and follow the pros all the way to the bank. Again, that's Sharp 25 for 25% off any product. All the band is out on the field. Touchdown. Caught by Westbrook. I'm a man. I'm 40. It's week two of the college football season, and to help you be a more informed better, joining me is Max Meyer, gambling producer for Sports Illustrated. Max, super excited to have you on the show. 
Happy Thursday. And I know NFL season kicks off today, but for me, it's just looking forward to those weekend college football games. Amen to that. I am so excited right now. This is the best time of the year, and I'm really looking forward to this weekend slate as we've got two matchups featuring ranked teams. Let's start with the number one team in the nation, Clemson. They're 17 and a half point favorites at home, taking on Texas A&M. Everyone remembers last year's game. It was absolutely thrilling. Texas A&M had the opportunity to win. Uh, Clemson's a team that rarely seems to be tested. And when I look at Texas A&M, I think what makes people feel most confident is Jimbo Fisher as the head coach. But on the flip side, I don't exactly feel all warm and fuzzy betting against Clemson, a team that can absolutely steamroll anyone. So I'm curious your thoughts on this game. So when I first saw the line, and I think it, op it opened at 20. And I was like, wow, that, that's way too many points. And, and betters agreed as the line has now gone to 17 and a half. And I would still take A&M, like I'd lean A&M 17 and a half, but I'm not nearly as confident about it as I was earlier in the week. Just a few notes from that game last year. So everyone remembers that was a two-point uh, final score last year. But Clemson was actually winning 28 to 13 going into the fourth quarter. And then Kellamon just went absolutely wild against a Clemson secondary that, I don't, that near, wasn't nearly as strong as their defensive line. Um, and Mon took advantage. And now that secondary could be um, a, a strength of the unit uh, this year. I mean, they have two great safeties, and they're more experienced than they were last year, even though they lost uh, Mullen, uh, one of their starting cornerbacks to the NFL. And then also, this is a completely different Clemson offense. Uh, Trevor Lawrence only attempted nine passes last year. Travis Etienne only had eight carries. Uh, Justin Ross wasn't even targeted once. And I, he, I don't even know if he put – I think he had like one, one or two snaps – and those are now three of the best offensive players in the country. So definitely a different game. And I know that Jimbo Fisher, uh, he has the most success against Clemson out of any coach. Um, but I'm also really nervous, even though Clemson lost all that aforementioned defensive line talent, uh, Kellen Mond was pressured 39% of his dropbacks against Texas State last week. And the Bobcats, their defensive line, not nearly as good as Clemson's. So I do I, – I still think it's, it's slightly uh, too many points, but I'm not rushing to bet this game. And with the increased pressure on Kellen Mond, does mean that there could be an increase in mistakes from Kellen Mond. So he's a high-variable quarterback there. And for me, this is going to be a rent-a-movie game for me, meaning I'm going to throw a few jelly beans on it and enjoy it as if I'm renting a movie because I can't watch this game and not have any action on it. And for me <laughs> – it's a little uncomfortable. I don't, I don't feel great taking Texas A&M at 17 and a half. So for me, I'm actually going to lay the points with Clemson as I haven't seen the reason why I should take Texas A&M aside from the fact that they're getting 17 and a half points in Jimbo Fisher. So I'm going to entertainment bets and go with Clemson on this one. So yeah, it just, it just seems like that A&M is definitely a public dog. And just because they're, they're ranked, uh, as a top 15 team and typically actually um, when there's like a giant spread like this in a battle of ranked teams the underdog is usually the public play but there have been some uh, uh, recently I mean there have been some favorites that have just wiped the floor with these underdogs and have covered the spread easily so it wouldn't surprise me to see a similar situation here. And I can buy into the narrative for Clemson that this is a game in which they want to get up for because they've heard so often how oh Texas A&M almost beat them last year. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. So I, I'm not, I don't have a great feel for either side, but if I had to pick a side, it'd be A&M, but it'd be begrudgingly.
So next game, we've got a really exciting one between two top 10 teams. Number nine, Texas, taking on LSU. Number six, LSU, a six and a half point favorite. And the big things that stand out for this, so it seems like everyone agrees that LSU is the better team. They seem like they're on a different level, almost on the Georgia-type Alabama level. But then you hear Tom Herman, 13-2 and two as an underdog. Texas is at home. What are your thoughts here? Because Joe Burrow balled out last week for LSU. So there's a lot of steam coming in on LSU. But, man, it is never comfortable laying almost a touchdown on the road against a coach who traditionally is a good underdog coach. Yeah, and no, you can't escape this game without hearing the Herman underdog stat this week. And, I mean, it is, like, it is an impressive record, but I still think it's too small of a sample size for me. Um, I'm pretty down on Texas this year. Uh, they've lost a lot. I mean, they lost their entire, they had to replace their entire front seven on defense. They had to replace both starting cornerbacks. Uh, Will Jordan Humphreys, uh, Sam Ellinger's top target gone. They had to replace some offensive linemen. And I didn't think, and even though Texas won double digit games last year, including the Sugar Bowl win over Georgia, they won a lot of close games. Like they beat um, Tulsa by one score. They beat Kansas by one score. It wasn't like their, I feel like their record was more impressive than like their yards differential or point differential uh, is. And, and against Louisiana Tech, yes, they, they did beat them uh, and they covered the spread. But I wasn't that impressed with Texas. I mean, they uh, only forced Louisiana Tech to punt twice. Uh, Tech missed two field goals. Uh, there was some fumble luck and then turnovers in there. Uh, I think Texas uh, had a plus two turnover differential. Uh, the Longhorns were only able to get one sack, just like little things like that. And then also Texas is pretty dinged up, uh, especially at running back. Uh, right now, um, their backup running back is a converted quarterback and their third string running back is a converted linebacker. And I mean, Texas, they, they don't really attempt that many deep shots in the aerial game just because Ellinger is more of a running quarterback versus one who stretches the field. And I really don't like – and LSU has an amazing secondary, one of the best in the country. So if Texas can't run the ball effectively, and especially how um, injured they are there, I think there could be a lot of problems. And then LSU's offense looked great. Granted, it was against the Sun Belt opponent, but I was really impressed with uh, Joe Burrow. He had 14 – or LSU had 14 passes for at least 10 yards, and at least 10 different LSU receivers had a reception for 10 yards or more. So I just think it's a dangerous offense. But I also don't like how the line has gone all the way up to six and a half. I, I think that that's extremely dangerous. I think the value for this line is completely gone. Um, and if it goes up – if it goes up to seven, I feel like it's Texas or bust, even though I really think LSU is the much better team. I just don't – I just don't like where the line is at. Yeah, I'm with you on the same way there. I'll be renting a movie at some point with this game there. If it gets to seven, just because of the key number and being at home, it's more of a principal's bet for me. But I don't exactly feel comfortable uh, laying all of these points, even though I do believe that LSU is the better team. So let's look at another game, which could be a pseudo rivalry game from years past. We've got Colorado taking on Nebraska. Nebraska, a four-point road favorites and over under in this game 64 and a half and Nebraska's coming into this game or coming into the season super hyped but they didn't exactly look great against South Alabama they didn't cover the 35 point spread Colorado comes in having beaten Colorado State putting up a 52 spot in the process 
For me, I really like Nebraska quarterback Adrian Martinez more than the Colorado side of things. The defense is not really good that good in this game. What are your thoughts? So I was watching that Colorado-Colorado State the entire thing on Friday night uh, just to see how Mel Tucker, uh, their new head coach, would fare in his debut. And I actually came away, even though they did win and they covered and they, uh, they won by 21, um, I was really unimpressed with Colorado. I think Colorado State is one of the worst teams in the country, and they still were going up and down the field against Colorado's defense. Um, Colorado's defense actually looks slow against the Rams. And Colin Hill, the Colorado State's quarterback, he, he has a stronger arm than Adrian Martinez, but like you, I'm a big Martinez fan. He, he's a dual-threat quarterback. I, he ran for over 100 yards against Colorado last season. He, uh, on, he averaged 9.4 yards per attempt on his throws against Colorado. Um, I think Martinez is going to have a major game. And then there's also big motivation for Scott Frost as well. Uh, Colorado came back. They were down eight in the third quarter in Scott Frost's coaching debut last year, and that was in Lincoln. And also Scott Frost was uh, – he was a former Nebraska quarterback in the late nineties and Colorado, Nebraska, that rivalry, that was one of the biggest rivalries in the nineties. And now that Colorado's in the PAC 12 and Nebraska's in the big 10, maybe that's died down a bit, but I don't feel like that that's the case for Scott Frost. And then also Nebraska's defense, they, they did kind of save the day against South Alabama where they picked up the slack for the offense. Their secondary has some issues. Uh, and Colorado has one of the best receivers in the country in LaVishka Schnault. But they hired a new offensive coordinator, Jay Johnson, and surprisingly, he's, he wants to do a, a run heavier offense, even though they, Colorado has a better personnel for a pass-first attack. And against Colorado State, they ran the ball 40 times, and they only passed it 20, and Chanel only got five targets and six, uh, and six touches overall, three carries, three catches. And I just don't think that that's the best way to utilize your offensive personnel, so I'm not a big fan of the direction of Colorado's offense. I think the defense could get absolutely shredded again by Nebraska. So I was surprised to see that the line moved all the way down. It moved all the way down to three and a half, and now it's back up to four. I still think Nebraska covers. And I I guess I'm fading a a Pac-12 team here again, which I guess is common practice here. Um, But I just think Nebraska is the better team. And, And you shouldn't read too much into the week one results. For me, I'm making a pick. I'm going to be taking the over on this game, 64-and-a-half, betting against the defenses. So let's look at – I was going to say, well, the one that – so the one thing that kind of scares me about the over is that if Colorado goes run heavy, I just think that their offense isn't as efficient. But if Nebraska is leading at halftime by, like, maybe 10 or 14, Colorado is going to be forced to throw the ball more in the second half, and that's where I think they'll be able to score – so I'll probably be looking at a second half over if that's the case. But I don't know if I can pull the trigger on full game yet. All right, let's look at some teams that had some disappointing week ones. And no team was more disappointing than Tennessee. My goodness. Right now they're laying three and a half at home against BYU. Tennessee gets upset by Georgia State as a 24 and a half point spread at home. And BYU laid an egg in a huge game versus Utah, and one common theme of my podcast, get comfortable being uncomfortable because there is nothing sexy about backing either of these teams, but especially looking on the Tennessee side of things. Yeah, and no, I mean, that was the most shocking week one game by far, but I, I feel like I just would – people are saying that, ten, that the Tennessee bounce-back spot is an angle that you should approach, and I think that that's one of the more dangerous spots. I just don't think that you can assume 
that a team bounces back to what you thought they'd be preseason after laying an egg in week one. And Tennessee has some real, real problems. I mean, they got they got outclassed in their home stadium by a Sunbelt team. And BYU, I mean, they, they struggle in their rivalry game against Utah. It, it's been, I think, nine straight times that BYU lost. And actually, the first half of this game, it was competitive. I, I actually took uh, BYU plus three and a half first half, and that cashed. Um, and they outplayed Utah in the first half before the second half, the turnovers really swung the game. Uh, BYU has a great quarterback in Zach Wilson. They're one of the best uh, teams in the country at limiting uh, big plays on defense. And I think the Cougars are underrated. So I'm not surprised to see early Tennessee money coming in on this bounce back spot. But for me, I, I think it's BYU or bust uh, if I had to pick a side in this one. Yeah, no action for me on this one. And another team that was very volatile last week, Oregon. Oregon's laying 24 at home against Nevada. And despite it being a disappointing loss and a brutal backdoor cover by Oregon, I came away impressed by them because they should have won the game. Looking at Nevada, big cover behind win over Purdue, putting up 27 second-half points, covering the 10.5-point spread. But Purdue had five turnovers in that game, and that's not as likely to happen versus Oregon. The perception of Nevada is likely inflated. No, I agree. Um, I, like you, I thought Oregon was the better team, but they just shot themselves in the foot continuously. And then I just, the defense got tired because the offense had so many um, quick drives in the second half, and that really paved the way for that Bo Nix comeback. But I think Oregon is still legit. And, and even though the line has shot up in this game, I, I I'd still would probably lean Oregon here. Um, I mean, their offensive line is still one of the best in the country. And for most of the game, they, they, I thought they did a great job uh, handling Auburn's defensive line, which is one of the best. And it'll be much easier trying to um, block against Nevada's uh, defensive line in front seven. And Nevada, uh, like, like what you were saying, uh, they had five, a plus five turnover dif differential. They got 10 points um, off of second half punt fumbles from Purdue and, and Rondell Moore. And I just, I, I really like the direction that Jay Norvell is taking this team, but I just think that they're in for a rude awakening against Oregon when uh, Justin Herbert and the Ducks are usually much better playing in Eugene under Mario Cristobal. And I think that the Ducks absolutely roll in this game. Yeah, me too. Give me the pick. I will be taking Oregon laying the 24 points. So let's jam about a few other games that you like. The opposite of Oregon, we have Auburn. Auburn laying 17 and a half versus Tulane, and this is a big letdown spot for Auburn coming off their big win over Oregon. On the Tulane side, they smoked FIU by 28 as a three-point favorite. Yeah, and Tulane is a tough team to prepare for, too. They have a really interesting offense that has, like, option concepts. They have zone read. Uh, I mean, Willie Fritz teams, they are usually well-coached, and new offensive coordinator Will Hall um, is trying to pick up the, uh, the tempo for that option offense. So. I wouldn't be surprised if Auburn struggles out of the gate trying to get up after that amazing Oregon win. And Tulane really, they, they blew out FIU and Butch Davis in week one. And I think that's one of the more under the radar, most impressive performances uh, last week. And to, and I mean, their, their offense was really explosive. It's led by former LSU transfer, Justin McMillan. Uh, they average just over eight yards per play uh, against FIU, which is the fifth highest in all of college football. 
They have some impressive uh, wideouts, including an Oklahoma State transfer. They have nice depth at running back. I just think it's really tough for Auburn to be prepping for an option or, well, option uh, offense and just one as creative as two lanes, especially on short notice. And then Auburn's offensive line had trouble blocking Oregon's defensive line for a lot of that game. Bo Nix was pressured on 44% of his dropbacks. Tulane has one of the best group of five defensive lines in the country, led by uh, Patrick Johnson, who had 10 sacks last year and is the American uh, preseason defensive player of the year. So I think Bo Nix, yes, he had the comeback drive, but I don't think he looked that impressive overall. And if Tulane can get a similar amount of pressure against Nix, I, I, just, I think that this is going to be a close game. And the angle that I'm looking at in particular is Tulane plus 10 first half. Nice. Moving on to another game in the Pac-12. We've got Washington 13 and a half point favorites over Cal. The total in this game, only 43. Huge debut for Washington quarterback Jacob Eason. Uh, last year, Cal upset Washington as a 12 and a half point underdog. Could there be a potential overreaction to week one for Washington? I, I think so. And Washington was a, another team like Texas that I've been looking to fade just because of how much that they lost. I mean, they lost a ton of defensive starters. They lost four out of their five members of one of the best secondaries in the country. I mean, they were the only team in college football last season that didn't allow a 40-yard pass. And they also lost, like, their star uh, linebacker, Ben Kerbin. They lost their top pass rusher in great game. So they have a lot of talent on defense. It's just very inexperienced. And on offense, they lost all-time leading program rusher Miles Gaskin, Jake Browning at quarterback, even though Eason looked, certainly looked like an upgrade in week one. Um, I just think that you should take that performance against um, FCS Eastern Washington with a grain of salt. Eastern Washington is one of the better FCS teams in the country, but they also had to replace a lot of starters from a team uh, that lost in the FCS championship last year. And... Cal is one of the best, they actually, I'll, I'll put this on there, they have the best secondary in college football. Uh, they were second in interceptions last season, and uh, their four returning starters in the secondary, led by like Ashton Davis and Cam Bynum, all four returned. They had 20 combined interceptions, 20 of the 21 team interceptions last year. And Cal, uh, at first glance, their 27-13 win over FCS UC Davis, maybe not the most impressive score, but UC Davis, I actually think that they're a stronger FCS team um, than Eastern Washington just because of what they return. And Cal was unlucky with turnovers. I mean, they fumbled away the opening kickoff, and then and that drive was the only um, UC Davis touchdown they had all game. And then there were major questions about Cal's offense, and, and they did only score 27 points, but they were really moving the ball. Like Chase Garbers, their quarterback, averaged over eight yards per attempt. Uh, their running back, Christopher Brown Jr. rushed for over 200 yards. And I think if there's any time to play this Washington defense, it's early in the year when they're incorporating all those new faces. And I just, it was mostly 14 for at most of the books for a, a lot of the week. And now it's down to 13 and a half. I still think 13 and a half is great value. It's just too many points for what I think is going to be a really low scoring game. Yeah, I agree. Low scoring. I like Cal's defense. My pick, I'm taking Cal and I'm going to get the 13 and a half. Stay in the Pac-12, USC one-point favorite against Stanford, and really the big narrative of this game, injuries for both teams at quarterback. Stanford coming off a tough win over Northwestern. Uh, for those of us on the wrong side of that, one of the worst bad beats 
of the year. Like, let's hope that's as bad as it gets because that's as bad as it gets. USC beat Fresno but didn't cover. And for me, there's just so much uncertainty in this game. I'm staying away, but what are your thoughts? So, like, this is a definitely a much different game than it was pegged to be a week ago. I mean, USC lost starting quarterback JT Daniels for the season. Stanford, uh, their quarterback, KJ Costello, is questionable after suffering a dirty hit against Northwestern. And then their top offensive lineman and projected first-round pick, Walker Little, is out for this game, and he'll probably be out for a few weeks. And that's a big blow for Stanford because their offensive line really struggled last year. Um, I'm going to be keeping an eye on whether Costello plays um, before making any plays for this game. But I think if he doesn't play, I think it's a definitely a clear downgrade from him to back up uh, Stanford quarterback David Mills. And for USC, they only scored seven, point, seven offensive points in the second half with a uh, backup true freshman, uh, Keaton Slovis, under center. They did have a kickoff return for a touchdown, but the offense just didn't look the same compared to when Daniels was running the new air raid uh, with new offensive coordinator Graham Harrell in the first half. And I, also, I think, you, I mean, Fresno State had a new quarterback and he was able to have some big plays against USC secondary. And that's where I think Costello could really shine because um, USC secondary is really inexperienced. And last year they gave up a lot of big plays. But if he's out and Mills is in, I, I just don't see the same impact. And then Stanford's offensive line is going to have a lot of trouble with USC's defensive line, who I think is the second best in the Pac-12 behind Utah. So I would say if Costello's out, I think you have to play the under in this game. Especially, I mean, you have David Shaw, one of the most conservative coaches in college football, punting from, like, the opponent 35, and that's, like, an under dream there. And USC with Clay Helton, I don't trust him at all. And I just think – I just see a really low-scoring game between two offenses that will have a lot of trouble moving the ball. If Costello does play, I do lean Stanford because I, I just think that he'll be able to take advantage of the USC secondary – but for me, it's I'm waiting to see whether Costello plays or not before making any plays. I love that term, the under dream for all those big dreamers out there that are like, boom, give me a pun from the 35. That's the David Shaw special. <laughs> last game we're going to talk about is the last game of the slate for all of you out there who are chasing once again, we're going out to Hawaii, six-and-a-half-point favorites against Oregon State. And Hawaii's got a lot of juice right now. They beat Arizona as a double-digit dog in week zero, so they had a lot of eyeballs on them. Oregon State loses to Okie State, and they gave up 352 yards on the ground. Woof. The good news, though, is Hawaii is a passing team. They put up 436 in the air, only 159 on the ground. And for me, this just is a little bit too much for Hawaii. I like Oregon State. It's a Pac-12 team. I'm on Oregon State for this game because I think there's just too much inflation on Hawaii. What do you think? No, I am 100% in agreement with you. Um, I was shocked. DraftKings in, in New Jersey, they had actually Hawaii minus seven for a while. And I, I, this game should not be at a touchdown. And I, I, I think six and a half is too high as well. So Oregon State's defense was one of the worst in college football and possibly in college football history last season. And it certainly looked like they didn't improve in week one against Oklahoma State. But I think Oklahoma State could have a top 10 offense this year. I mean, their, their freshman quarterback, Spencer Sanders, true dual threat. He looked outstanding. Uh, the running back Hubbard, he rushed for, I, I, I want to say, like eight or nine yards a carry. And then they also have one of the best wide receivers in the country, Talon Wallace. And so I just think that that was like kind of cruel to give Oregon State, Oklahoma State week one. 
And Hawaii definitely has an explosive offense as well. I still think it's a big step down from Oklahoma State's though. And like you were saying, Oklahoma State, they could really gash you through the air and on the ground. Hawaii can only really take advantage of you through the air. And I think that'll make things a lot easier for Oregon State, just having to focus on one area versus having to focus on both a rushing attack and a passing game. Um, Oregon State has two former Hawaii assistants on the staff that served under Nick Rolovich. So I think that's an advantage. And then I just feel like Hawaii is a better bet when they're trying to sneak up on an opponent like they did with Arizona week one as a double-digit underdog. Because as a favorite, since Rolovich has taken over in 2016, they actually have the worst against the spread record as a favorite uh, for teams that have been favored by at least 10 games since 2016. And I think Oregon State, they are improved. There still will be points in this game, but Oregon State has a, a, a really strong rushing attack, and that's an area that Arizona didn't really take advantage of week one against a, a Hawaii run defense, which is really poor. And they have a competent quarterback in Jake Luton. Uh, they have an NFL-caliber wideout in Isaiah Hodgkins. I think Oregon State's underrated heading into this game. Wouldn't surprise me if they went outright. I mean, weird things always happen on the island late at night. So I, I think Oregon State is a, is a really nice value play against the spread here. All right, so let's recap our picks. And for me, I've got four official ones. I'm taking Cal plus 13 and a half, Oregon minus 24, Oregon State plus six and a half, and the over 64 and a half on Nebraska and Colorado. What about you, Max? All right, so I'll go Oregon State plus six and a half, Tulane plus 10 first half, uh, Oregon minus 24, Cal plus 13 and a half. And that's, that's my favorite side of the week if I had to pick one. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll match your four and I'll go with those four. Awesome. I cannot wait for another week of amazing college football action. Max, where can everybody connect with you? Uh, you can find me at, at the Max Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R on Twitter. Or if you want to see all my uh, content and best bet picks for college football, if you go to si.com slash gambling, uh, you will see all of my picks for Sports Illustrated Gambling on the page. And I want to hear from you. What college football action do you have this week? I want you to send me your card. You can hit me up on Twitter at Rob Cressy and use hashtag Sharp 600 and be part of our community and make sure to also tag at covers. And another thing that you can do that would really help us out is if you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast your feedback means so much to us. And if you do, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. And remember, if you want to be a sharp, don't be a square with your bankroll. Be disciplined with your money management.